So today, um, we're going to talk from Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to read about some people who said yes to God. So here's what I'd love us to talk about today, saying yes to God. And what does that mean? And here's the thing we read about today in these verses, that these people who said yes to God, God did some extraordinary things through them. And you might feel kind of ordinary. You might feel just a normal kind of person, as most of us do. But the truth is this. When you say yes to God, remarkable things can happen in your life. And it could be you're not even a follower of Jesus here yet today. But when Jesus says, follow me, if you say yes to him, he will change your life for the better. In fact, he'll forgive your sins, everything you've ever done wrong. And he'll start a new life in you, and he'll give you life in all of its fullness. So today, if, I, I feel like there might be somebody here today who you've just been holding out on saying yes to Jesus for a long, long time. And today, Jesus is saying, is it time? Is it time to say yes to me? Um, I loved Esme's word earlier that God is picking up the paintbrush. He's picking up you. And you know, the only criteria for that is for you to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, would you paint your picture with me? So um, now, I know as soon as we start talking about saying yes to God, there'll be a certain number of people here for whom like, it's all new and exciting. You'll be like, yeah, game on. And for others who, as soon as you hear a preach that is subtitled saying yes to God, you're saying, I'm pretty tired right now. <laughs> and I know where you're going with this. And actually... I want you to reassure you, I'm not particularly going anywhere with it other today other than to talk about our hearts, to talk about us saying yes to God and get God getting hold of us. And if you do say yes to Jesus today, then here's a wonderful promise from his word. Here's the person you're saying yes to. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Isn't that wonderful? When we say yes to Jesus, our loads are made lighter. Hallelujah. You're saying yes to Jesus is the thing that brings us ultimate peace, joy and freedom in this life and the next. So Lord Jesus, we just want to give our hearts to you today. Lord, would you help our lives to be freed from anything that resists you? Because you have a good plan and purpose for us. Amen. Okay, let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. So this is the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And this is him talking. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem which was to rebuild its walls. There was no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I, said, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. 
Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Did you see it? Did you see the yes that happened right at the end there? Nehemiah just brings them a sense of this is what God wants to do. And they reply with these amazing words, four words they say, let us start rebuilding. They're saying yes. He brought the challenge, they said yes. And I want us to look at three criteria of these people who say yes to God. And I've got an acronym for you. It's F-A-T. It spells fat. They were faithful, they were available, and they were teachable. Are you ready? Let's go into the first one, faithful. So this was a mixed group of people. They they were uh, Jewish people who had come from the exile. So uh, back in previous history, God's people had been exiled from Jerusalem, had been destroyed because of their idolatry, their sinfulness. God had said, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. And then after 70 years, King Cyrus, a Persian uh, king, he he announces, he says, "It's, it's time for the Jews to return if they would like to, to rebuild their homeland and their homes and their temple. And he lets them go. And some of them begin to go. And there were some, if you read the Bible as a whole, Ezra and Nehemiah are two books that go together. They're back to back. It's part of the same history period of this period as the exiles begin to return to Jerusalem. And as they begin to return, you find that there's a group of people who remember the olden days. There's some people who, when the temple foundations get built, they, they emotionally remember what had happened in the past. And they remember how the temple used to be. And for them, it's a, a happy, sad moment. And then for others, they've been born in exile. and They've been born in captivity. And here they are now in their own land and with a freedom to worship and, and to do what they, to build their houses and to start their lives again. And they are hugely excited. And in Ezra 2, you read about this chaotic scene where some of the people are crying, some of the people are rejoicing, but God has taken these people and mixed them together. But the combination of these people is this, that they all returned. They all returned from their captive lands, and not all of them did, but they they came back and they said, we want to do what God's called us to do, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild our homes, and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Faithfulness is a hard thing to come by sometimes. It says this in Proverbs 20, verse 6 in the Good News Bible. It says, everyone talks about how loyal and faithful they are, but just try and find someone who really is. We're good at talking the talk, but faithful people are hard to find. It's rare to find faithful people, people who can be counted on, people who are consistent, people who are dependable. We live in a society with very little commitment where we're in a generation right now that doesn't want to commit to anything. We want to keep our options open. We don't want to be committed to a business. We don't want to be committed to a church. We don't want to be committed to a marriage. We live with disposable relationships. Faithfulness isn't a term you hear loads about in our generation. But these people made it their mission to come back. And it happened in four waves. You know, it took a long time. Do you know how long it took until Nehemiah came back from that 70 years captivity ending? Have a guess. A thousand. (laughs) 
No carry. <laughs> right, 93 years, that's the right answer, okay. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. So they get freedom to come back, and it just takes about 93 years or so for people to actually come back. Isn't that crazy? But do you find this in your life sometimes? Things just take longer than you think. And even coming out of the COVID season, how many of us are finding it's not simply just flicking a switch and just like, oh, yeah, let's, hey, we're back. Suddenly, all of our capacity has been used up elsewhere. Suddenly, we find that Sundays are busy days. And like, oh, man, it's church again. Suddenly, we find our evenings are like, we've got other things going on. And it takes time. I just want to say to you, if, if you're finding life just a bit garbled right now and there's just lots going on, and you think, ah, anybody feeling that? Hey, it, it's going to take some time. And it's okay for it to take some time because God is faithful to you. And part of the journey of faithfulness is just to walk through these times of challenge. Faithfulness is costly. As I said, some of those early settlers were nostalgic about the past. Uh, Others born in captivity were enjoying a whole new adventure. And the Christian life, for all of us, it has phases. There's times when everything feels... Uh, like it's all new and exciting. There's times when things feel just mixed. We, um, this weekend was a, a happy, sad weekend for Kings. On Friday night, we said goodbye to Matthew and Anne, who planted Kings 19 years ago. And on Friday night, as we just remembered all of the wonderful things and gifts that Matthew and Anne have been to this church, man, that was a happy, sad kind of occasion, because happily, wonderfully celebrating them, but also thinking, ah, Kings isn't going to be the same. And if you're feeling that, if you've been around Kings a few years, you think, I'm feeling that as well. And when somebody says, hey, let's go, say yes to God, you're like, I just feel a little little mixed about everything right now. That's okay. For others of you, you're brand new to Kings. You think, I don't even know the names you're talking about here. Let's go. You know, the challenge for you is to keep going through seasons when Things are challenging and hard. So no matter what your phase, Jesus wants you to say yes to him. So that's the first thing about them. They were faithful. Okay, say faithful. Okay, say fat. Okay, got it. Okay, second one is available. Say available. Okay, so good things happen to people who make themselves available to God. Have you noticed that in the Bible? You find just people like Abraham... People like Mary, people like Hannah, people who are just willing to say yes to God. And sometimes it's about just making time and being around in the right place at the right time and making yourself at God's disposal. I was, um, I was at a, a rugby match yesterday. I was watching my son Ben play rugby. He's in P7. He's our youngest son. He loves sport. He's only been playing rugby a couple of weeks and, uh, and he's in the, he plays in his sort of seconds team at school. And they were playing another school, and I watched him play. He did great. And uh, anyway, he hung around afterwards because he wanted to watch another match with, with another of his friends in it. And meanwhile, the first team from his year was playing on the pitch next door, and they had a couple of injuries. And so his teacher looked around, and he said, Ben, do you want to play for the firsts? And... If you know my son Ben, then the, the edges of his mouth just turned up ever so slightly at the side, which means this is the best day of my life. <laughs> and his teacher said, would you like to play? And he said, I don't mind. <laughs> so I said, that means he'd love to. 
And so he did. He went and played for the first, and it was a great, great moment. What was he doing? He was just hanging around. You know, sometimes in our lives, we need to make space to hang around. We can be overly conscious about officious, uh, being, being, um, uh, being everything planned and structured and organized, whatever that word was that I couldn't remember just there. Efficient. And, uh, efficient. Efficient. Sorry, that was it, yes. And, and actually, part of being efficient is actually to create space in our times where we just make space for nothing so that God can interrupt. And when the interruptions come, to go with it at times. Um, and D.L. Moody, who was a famous preacher, he made this remarkable comment. He reached thousands of people with the gospel. But he said, if the world is going to be reached with the gospel, he said, I'm convinced that it must be done by men and women of average talents. After all, there are comparatively few people in the world who have great talents. He was one of the great talents. But here is his point. It's actually about a community of people making themselves available to God and seeing what God will do. And part of that is about seeing the bigger vision. So alongside the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you can read the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah in the Old Testament. And one of the prophetic words that came from Haggai was this in Haggai 1 verse 7. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. And this is the, the, the gentle challenge that God was bringing to them. He was saying, you need to see the bigger vision for your life. And for all of us, we've got our stuff going on. We've got our own stuff that we're dealing with. We've got our jobs. We've got our homes. We've got our relationships. We've got our family. Those things are so important. Food, water, shelter. These things are the stuff of life, aren't they? Relationships. But God is calling them to a higher vision. He says, well, don't forget my house. Don't forget the temple as it was back then, the, the place of worship for the nations of the world to come and see God being glorified. And for us, Jesus wants us to see that he's building his church and in the business of our own lives to see the bigger vision and to prioritize what he's calling us to. They were engaging with God, God's plan exclusively on their own terms. They'd made the rebuilding of their own home and family life the only thing, but God called them to a bigger vision. I was, um, I was on the phone with uh, Peter Anderson, who's a friend in the city the other day, and he leads another church in Edinburgh. And he also leads the sort of pastor's prayer network in, um, in Edinburgh and beyond. And he rang up, he says, Dan, we're going to do a prayer night on Zoom for all of the churches across Edinburgh and the Lothians on a Friday in November. He said, do you want kings to be a part of it? And I briefly checked with Chris and with Luke, and we said, yes, absolutely, because we never just want to get into our own thing, our own sense of purpose and plan and our little church and what we're going to do. It's always about, well, it's God's glory in the city and what he's going to do throughout the land. So we'll tell you more about that in the time to come. So as we reestablish patterns of worship and community, let's make sure we're seeing the bigger vision, not engaging purely on our own terms. So that was available, number two. You got it? F-A- what was the third one? Teachable. Teachable. Brilliant. Okay. Um, and 
Verses 17 and 18, you read that they listened to Nehemiah. He, he shared the same words that had had such impact on him in chapter 1. That Jerusalem had been burnt down, and the walls were broken, and the gates were burned, and Nehemiah had wept and prayed for months. And they heard what Nehemiah said, because we read that they responded. They said, well, let's, let's do something about this. How we hear is so important. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 18, take care then how you hear. And I want to suggest we live in a generation that is just overloaded with information all of the time. And it's, my newsfeed is filled all of the time with things that is just going on everywhere. I, I feel like I have skin-deep knowledge of everything going on in the world. How much of it do I actually do anything about? How much of it do I respond to? Very, very little. And the danger is it can be overwhelming. See, I feel that I know a fair bit about gas price spikes and what causes them. I feel like I know quite a lot about CO2 and its usage in the food industry. I feel like I know all about the shortage of HGV drivers and how much they get paid or not paid enough. I even know the sadnesses of what's happening in Afghanistan for women and children and Christians there. I listen to many podcasts in, in lockdown. I listen to many podcasts. And I, I just found this thing that rather than things helping me, I found myself getting increasingly anxious about everything. <laughs> Anybody else find that? It's just like, ah, there's all these things and all this knowledge. And when I put some of that stuff down, and when I turn my phone off, and when I deliberately thought, I'm just not going to listen to anything. I just want to hear the voice of God. And I want to pray. And I want to let him share his heart with me. I found that was a much more productive thing to do. You see, salvation wasn't found in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was found in Jesus. And he said, now this is eternal life that, you, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is true knowledge. It's to know Jesus. So the answer to, go, to going deeper with kingdom priorities is God laying things on your heart. And he does that when we listen, when we hear. So be careful how you hear. Better to do something about a few things than hear everything and do nothing. And have you heard? Have you heard what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is doing? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Have you heard that? Have you embraced that? Have you made it that your, your priority as well? Have you heard that Jesus is saying he's coming again and he's going to judge the living and the dead? Have you heard him say that he's the way, the truth, and the life and that nobody comes to the Father, nobody enters the kingdom of God unless it's through him? When we hear these things deeply, it empowers us to say yes to God because we realize the importance of what he is teaching us and what he is saying to us. God is looking for faithful, available, teachable people. Uh, Dara, could, could you and uh, the band just come and join us? We're going we're gonna to respond in, in worship in just a moment to give ourselves and our hearts to God. But here's the last thing about the they we read about in these people. And it is this, it's they're a they. Nehemiah was one man, 
But he realized that he wasn't going to build the walls of Jerusalem by himself. He needed others around him. And that's what these verses tell us he did. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And what a great picture of Christian community in action. You know, if, if you want to just try and live a Christian life, there's times when it's just so much easier to just do your own thing. But do you know, if you want to go far in the Christian life, if you want to be impactful, the way you do that is in community with other people. Now, in the book of Acts, you read about that early community. And it says about them in Acts 2, verse 42. I don't know if you've got that scripture there, John. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. If you're looking for some heart responses, there's four right there of things that you could do. Hearing God's word, being a part of fellowship and community, breaking bread together and praying. And this is what they did together in the early church, and that's what fueled them. This is how they said yes to God together. And today, Jesus wants to invite us into this good work. He says they began this good work. Do you know the good work Jesus is doing? He's building us together. In big community on Sundays, in small community, in small groups in the week. He's sending us out to be salt and light into our workplaces, in our universities, in our communities. And today, he wants us to say yes to him.